0: tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. And we've worked our way through the first week of the first Grand Slam of the season down in Melbourne at the Australian Open. And we're very pleased this week to be joined by Toumani Kariol, tennis journalist from The Guardian in London. And he is also currently covering the Australian Open virtually. Toumani, thanks uh, so much for joining us on Matchpoint Canada.
1: Thanks for having me. It's good to be here.
0: It's
2: funny to think this is your first time with us, and uh, and I say funny just because i followed your work and read your work for so long. So I'm I'm really glad that it's worked out that you can join us to talk a little bit about the Aussie Open today and about how our Canadians have been doing as well.
1: Glad to be here. I, I listened to the podcast as well, so appreciate to be it. Here.
2: Before we get to the Aussie Open and, and all the great storylines uh, that we've been following, I I thought we'd start maybe with just a, a little bit of a look at how you got into covering the the sport of tennis, what you're sort of origin story is in terms of your relationship with the sport and 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 how you began your career uh, covering it
1: it's, it's it's a long story but i'll try <laughs> to keep it short um, so i used to play tennis like when i when i was younger and played in tournaments in I'm, I'm from london so i played in tournaments around around here like just growing up in junior tournaments and but i i mean i wasn't particularly that good and i, I got injured i hurt my back so I just decided that I love tennis and I wanted to write about it. So I made a blog. Um, this and like this must have been like 11 years ago. And I started with the blog. I just decided that to cover travel and cover some like European events. So the first I, I just the first event I went to was Linz in 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 Austria. Just like staying in a hostel, you know, the cheapest flights in Europe. yeah you know, it, I, roughing it. Yeah, exactly. When I was like a teenager. So, yeah, I just did that for a while. I just went to a few events and then from there just tried to figure out my, how to write, my writing style, what, what I wanted to do. And then met kind of different people who, you know, saw, saw my writing and didn't hate it. And just from there kind of just, yeah, just got to the point where just got more opportunities. And it took a while, you know, like I was first of all, I was had like a gap year and then I went to uni and that was you know that the first kind of job i got was with eurosport and that was in uh, i say the first one i went to was in 2010 and that came in 24 the beginning of 2014 so the first thing i did was actually <laughs> very similar to right now at, uh, at australian open like i had to work for them during the australian open and that starts at 12 am so so I, and i was in uni so i was just going back and forth from london to chester which is a different city where where i you know, study and, well, I used to study, and it was just a total whirlwind. It's lost control of the time. And so, yeah, um, kind of from that, I eventually got to the point where, yeah, I started working for The Guardian, like, a uh, twenty, uh, 2019, I think. Yeah, so.
2: I love hearing people's stories of how they they get into the sport and covering it. And it seems like the common thread is generally we're all tennis fans and and former players at some level. I'm not a very good tennis player either. Ben, you've got the, the skill between us. But uh, I feel like we all have some, some commonalities in why we get into covering the sport.
1: Yeah, love the sport.
0: Yeah, I also uh, I also feel like that would be the best uh, flex of saying, like, I'm, I'm working the overnight shift and you're covering the Australian Open, <laughs> really the dream overnight shift uh, in, in university. And uh, I think we're, we're all we're all doing it right now, of course, because we are through one week of the Australian Open. And I just wanted to shift over to some of the action and in terms of the men's side to many, you know, two of the big three are here and, um, you know, they're, they're through the first week, but they both have injury concerns for, for Nadal. He, of course, arrived with a back issue and skipped the ATP Cup. And then uh, Novak Djokovic survived this long five-set match with Taylor Fritz, but uh, was dealing with an oblique injury. We thought he might even pull out of the tournament. Um, I'm just wondering, do you think these injuries are enough to to derail their chances? Or is it still one of these grand slams where we expect one of the big three to win it?
1: I think it uh, certainly makes an upset and, it, you know, it gives other players a bigger chance. And, I, I you know, I think they clearly have, both of them have issues and they're not 100%. So the field has a better chance, but also they are who they are for a reason. And, you know, they've won when they're injured. They win when, you know, something's going on at home that we don't know about. And so... You know, I, I definitely wouldn't ever kind of count them out. You know, if they're there, then they're, they're, they're normally there for a reason. So I think we'll, I mean, we'll, we'll see, right? It's just it's definitely a very strange period. You know, also because also team had some kind of uh, physical issue that he didn't want to talk about. So a lot of injuries and probably for different reasons. But, yeah, I think it, it's going to be interesting to just see how, particularly the younger generation, but since there's quite a few of them left, you know, Medvedev, Sisi Rub- um, Tsitsipas, Zverev, they're all there. We'll see how what how they fare against, you know, when they theoretically should have a better chance.
2: It's interesting, Nadal and, and Djokovic, because dealing with injuries, but Nadal was pretty upfront about his right at the start of the tournament, whereas Novak seemed to have developed um, in that match against uh, Fritz, of course. Um, we haven't heard much chatter about how close Nadal is to getting the all time slam record, taking it from Roger Federer, you know, capturing number 21. And I wonder for me at the start, it was because he seemed so troubled by the back that I thought, well, there's no way this guy's even going to make the second week, let alone, you know, get that slam. Now, as we're in the quarterfinals now, and he's playing a guy in Pass who he's had success against. Do you think that chatter and that dialogue is is bound to start up? Should it not be starting up now
1: i mean yeah the the i think particularly now that he's said that he's feeling better and that you know but as you said like in in the first couple of rounds he he was very negative or at least very he was waiting for to he what well, he said he was waiting for treatment to see how his back responded but now but after um his 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 last match he's been a lot more you know, positive about the fact that he can put the work in. And so, yeah, I, I do think that there, there will, the closer he gets, of course, there will be more chatter. If he Certainly if he beats, you know, a top 10 player, then the, there can be no argument that he's, his level is high. You know, he's playing high enough to beat quality opponents. So, yeah, I think the closer. And, and I think also just with the Australian Open, it just seems like things always happen with Rafa in that sense, you know. He's, he's he's always on the brink of something and then something goes wrong here that's so i think people are cautious I actually i i i don't mind that we're not so you know I, I like when we can just wait and see instead of just kind of you know predicting you know
2: let things just kind of happen naturally yeah i, 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 I think like- that's I like that so instead of is- talking about his injury, it seemed like he's he's now breaking other people's injuries, as I saw that clip this morning of him accidentally yeah. revealing that Berrettini was going to pull out of the event. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Sco- scooping all the journalists. So. That's right. Imp- imp- impressive, yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I yeah. think uh, it's it's incredible, really, these two, how they're still able to navigate and win matches when they are not at their best. And, of course, uh, Novak uh, took out Milos Raonic uh, the following round in four sets. I, I wanted to get to a little bit of the the remainder of the field. You know, you mentioned some of the younger superstars and and the new wave of the generation. The country, of course, that stands out to me, obviously, is is Russia, and they just look like a powerhouse now. I mean, we have Daniil Medvedev and Andrei Brublev set to meet in the quarterfinals. Uh, qualifier Aslan Karatsev who's just of course emerged um over the past week he's played unbelievable tennis and took out Felix Oje aliassime D- Do you think this uh continue do you think we'll have some continued dominance in this sport from Russia and uh I I'd, I'd love to get your perspective on Daniil's chances. It feels like this is his best opportunity now to maybe win that maiden Grand Slam title.
1: Yeah, I, I think i think he, he he has a huge chance i think of of the players left in the draw he's he's the player who you know he's the player in the best form he won the world finals he's he's shown that he can make to some finals and can you know contest with, with rafa and novak you know when they're far better far better than in better condition than they are so yeah i, I think he has everything really and it's kind of a, a it seems it feels like a matter of time before Medvedev kind of ascends to the next level. So now, I think it, this this match against Rublev will be interesting and telling because both of them have been playing incredibly well. And Medvedev just won that has won. I think he leads the head-to-head 3-0. But, you know, Rublev actually had his chances at the US Open last year where it was really kind of three tight sets. So I think that will kind of tell us where they are now and how yeah i think we'll we'll know a lot about the level of either player who who comes out of it but certainly i'd say that medvedev, to me medvedev has the best the best chance of the the rest of the field for sure by by quite a distance right now
2: i can't wait till we can talk about canada in the same way we can talk about russia and i i know <laughs> we're definitely showing improvements but boy those russians are looking super strong and yeah. and then you throw in a guy like uh, Karadsev as well who Look, I got to be honest. I know there's some people on Twitter who have been saying like, "Hey, you know, tennis journalists, you got to know everybody out there. You got to know all the players up and coming." Well, I'm sorry, I got to admit honestly, like I had not really heard about Karatsev before this tournament, and and I don't mind admitting that. How how much did you know about him, or or um, how much are you willing to admit you knew about him before this <laughs> event?
1: I, I did I did kind of just follow the the results um, from when he when he came back after um, lockdown, and it was just. It's funny, just to see someone who's been in the on the tour for so long, who'd spent only like a year in the top 200, to suddenly just kind of blitz through. He won two challenges in like in in Czech Republic, I think, and the the only loss like during that period was to Vavrinka. So I I just I had one eye on him, and then I saw like I thought I I thought he actually do might do something not not anything like this, but something at Roland Garros last year. And then, but that just—he lost in the final qualifying round. So yeah, I mean, it's yeah. The, 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 there's there's no shame at all in in not really. There's so much going on in tennis anyway. You know, there's so many tournaments. So, um, but yeah, I, I kind of I think he's given his form. Um, it's surprising to see him just blitz through players the way he's done, and then to to come back from two sets down to Felix. But I'm also I'm not surprised that he's playing well and and performing on the big stage. And I think it just goes to show that there's really talent everywhere. And, you know, and there's there are many, many capable players outside of the top 100 who, you know, with the right conditions, the right form or, or whatever it is that came together for him, you know, they can perform on the bigger stage.
0: Well said. I um, Sorry, go ahead, Ben. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, it, I think it does also speak to the the depth of the men's field that you have so many fantastic players, you know, even at times playing on the challenger level. And I, I did just want to get your thoughts on that match. You know, we'll, we'll get more to the Canadians in a moment, Mike. But uh, Felix versus uh, Karatsev, for a lot of people watching, especially in Canada, we looked at the first two sets here and it looked like, it was completely one-way traffic, the way Felix Oshay was was dictating play, kind of controlling the back of the baseline. I don't think we had even imagined a scenario where a qualifier was going to storm back and stun him in five sets. Um, do you think this was more a, a lost match on Felix's side or just an unbelievable stretch of tennis from Karatsev's side?
1: Well, I have a confession to make myself. I didn't. Because the the women's matches were on, I, I was the only kind of I had one eye on it, so I, I wasn't fully watching. But I mean, obviously, when you're up two sets to love, and things are going as I mean, it was it's, it was particularly a strange match because it was very like it was one sided until it wasn't, and then it just went. It seemed to go the other way. So yeah, I, I def yeah, it, it's I, I, yeah I can't really kind of comment on how it happened, but it, it's certainly a tough, I'm sure it's tough to swallow kind of doing that. And, and particularly as Felix said, in my opinion, you know, after uh, the, the final against Dan Evans, where that was kind of tough to watch. I, I think he, he responded really well. He played the next day and kind of did, in, you know, incredibly well to beat Denis, to beat Shapovalov as well. So yeah, it's definitely a, a tough you know, after building that momentum and then to be close, close, so close to a quarterfinal, I think that's that is a, an opportunity lost anyway. But as kind of we have had to constantly say, with Felix," there will there'll be many others. So,
2: Absolutely, yeah. and and Tumani, I gotta echo your honesty. I didn't catch much of that match either, and uh, <laughs> shame on me for thinking it was going to be a little bit more straightforward for Felix, but I opted to catch up on some sleep at that point which I kind of (laughs) regret now Um, to to switch over to the women's side and I want to start in perhaps a funny spot but she's kind of a funny player and that's uh, Shea Su Wei and uh, what an enjoyment to watch so far during this tournament you tweeted quite an interesting story about her and her racket restringing or should I say lack thereof and uh, would you mind kind of recapping that story for our listeners because I found it, it to be quite interesting and and what that kind of says about the type of player and, and person that, that she is.
1: Yeah, um, it was it was her coach, Paul McNamee, gave a press conference and was just explaining all the ways in which she's unique, and there are <laughs> many. And I think, yeah, in, in this, this specific story was about her racket and how she only, str- I think she only strings it, restrings it once or twice a year. Whereas, you know, we, we know most players are kind of OCD about stringing and, you know, they're constantly... A bit between matches and, and he was kind of explaining she doesn't need to because she hits in the middle all the time so there's never any accidental, you know, she 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 never frames the ball and breaks the uh, strings like that and so yeah and she just prefers it like that and so I, I can't remember the specifics of the story but he, he mentioned that just before this tournament she had oh yeah, so, so the story was that you know, one, one time she was playing with, with her racket and she was suddenly hitting the ball mi- miles out and it was very strange and nobody really knew what was going on because she normally misses by millimetres. And then finally, someone saw her racket and her string was broken. And she had no idea because she had no idea what a broken string felt like. <laughs> and <laughs> just a, crazy, yeah, a completely crazy story. And he, he also mentioned that just before the tournament, she got she restrung her racket, which was, quote marks, traumatic, which <laughs> you don't normally hear. And, and so, yeah, it just kind of shows how different and unique she is how you know she sometimes she'll go on court and practice for practice and hit for two seconds and the ball she's not feeling the ball so she'll go home you know she won't bother practicing so she yeah she it's funny because she's you, you can you know when you see her on court you know you see how unique her game is you see how different her personality is and it's it's very like I don't know that that in some kind of with some personalities people would be skeptical and they'd you know think maybe someone is putting it on or you know whereas you can I think everyone who sees like can tell that it's just very genuine and kind of who she is and, and what she's about which is why it's very I think it's very easy for people to root for her and yeah and yeah
2: some oh. companies got to sign her to a contract i can't believe that she doesn't have some sort of sponsor at this stage but that
1: but that's a, i think that's a, um her like she doesn't she doesn't want the obligations of of being part of you know of of being part of a company which is interesting in itself so she just throws on like a million different uh sponsor uh brands and yeah i mean i'd never ever thought about it like that but you know fair enough (laughs)
0: <laughs> Fair enough indeed. Uh pretty hilarious to hear Naomi Osaka after getting through getting through Muguruza, you know, being told uh that she has she A as her next opponent. Are you looking forward to this match? And he said, Well, no, I'm not looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that's after coming through uh, a great match against Muguruza, which kind of brings me to my my next point. I think the level of tennis that uh, we saw in the first week on the women's side for me at least produced you know already like match of the year candidates um, Osaka versus Muguruza I thought was unbelievable Simona Halep and Igis Swiatek played a great match just what what were your thoughts on the overall level of the tennis and and some of the matches that we saw yeah
1: it's, it's just funny because it's almost two different tournaments in, in the women's draw the, the top and the bottom half and and in that bottom yeah it was I mean, particularly just that one day. I, I mean, I've lost track of the days to be honest. I, was it Saturday. Um, I think it was. Uh, yes, yeah, so Saturday. <laughs> um, I'm not sure what day it is today, but um, yeah. So, so just those those three three matches kind of in in succession were just incredible. You, you obviously had Osaka, who, I mean, Muguruza played so well, and she's a two-time slam champion, and I think that would have been. One of her best wins, one of the best matches she's played in her life, and, and sh- until she got to double match point, and then Osaka just kind of ascended to another level. You know, told you know asked asked the question if Mukurizu could keep up, and she couldn't. So that was just an incredible match, and they both yeah. And then you had Serena and Sabalenka, which was different and just very kind of you know big big hitting. It's, I always enjoy actually seeing when Serena plays someone who hits bigger than her and, and Sabalenka does. So you know she has to figure out how, how to, you know, to minim to be smarter, to minimize her errors. And I find that aspect just interesting because I, I think she likes it. <laughs> so that and so like you saw kind of how Sabalenka came back from four one down and then kind of she just couldn't keep it up in the end. She couldn't keep that level up. And and then of course and as you say, then the final uh with shiontek and and Halep, which was just a real i think a really great um performance from a veteran who you know she had that really tough loss at roland garros and she came back and just you know after losing the first set she just gave nothing away she min- completely minimized the error so yeah and and just the strange thing is that it's, it's just the fourth round right That that you know there's still a whole week to go and and you know, the matches only get topper, you know, that's why Osaka was, you know, sighing in her press conference about facing Shea, Serena and Halep is just huge. So yeah, that's going to be interesting for sure.
2: And that's the, the incredible strength and depth on the WTA tour is you have some third and fourth round matches that would have made excellent finals even Um, here in Canada. Of course, we would have loved to have had a Canadian in the second week, not meant to be, but, just such a great step forward for um, Bianca Andreescu to come back to the tour after such a lengthy absence. You uh, put out a recent article on Bianca and, and had a chance to speak with her in depth. What did you take away from that conversation in terms of her uh, off-court persona and and mindset uh, in her return to the sport?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I wasn't really sure what to expect. It's It's been so long and she's, you know, I, I wouldn't know, you know, after being out for such a long time, I wouldn't I wouldn't know how that affects a player. So it, it was pleasing just to hear that, although it had been difficult and there had been tough days and, you know, she struggled with getting away from tennis that she was also able to kind of get something out of being at home, whether it was just in terms of fitness or in terms of, I don't know, expanding her horizons, playing Xbox, apparently. And yeah, she, she sounded, You know, it's been a while, obviously, but I remember kind of her press conferences when she first broke out and she, she does sound kind of like she's grown up a bit more and had a chance to kind of live, even though it's locked down, kind of just not be as attached to tennis, which is, I think that's in general, kind of that's always good for players. So yeah, I think obviously in an ideal world, she would have just come back and Set the world on fire, but it's gonna be t- it's tough, you know. It's 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 a, such a long period, and we'll, we'll see. I I don't really think there should be expectations, you know. What we'll, we'll see how it goes. She obviously she just played in the um, Phillip Island, um, the other tournament in in Melbourne now, the two two fifty, and she won in in three touch sets in a weird match. I don't know if you saw like the the seagulls and the birds in the, they were playing with. No, well, yeah. <laughs> So she, she was she was playing yeah it was just in crazy conditions where birds kept on interrupting play, and <laughs> so but yeah she she's back and I just hope that she can just get stay healthy get matches and whenever it comes whenever her form comes again whether it's this week or in a few months then you know that that's the most important thing.
0: Yeah, we've had the interesting uh, presence of wildlife at different times through uh, this Australian Open in Melbourne. Uh, A great interaction, actually, with Naomi Osaka and a butterfly was kind of making the rounds on Twitter as well. Um, I I suppose the last question about a Canadian just on our our women's side, um, Layla Fernandez went out in the first round, but uh, we did have one other winner. I I don't know if you know much about the story of Rebecca Marino, but uh, we were thrilled to begin with that she was able to even be back playing tennis this year, let alone qualify for the Australian Open. And then she managed to pick up uh, a win as well. And this is a player who hadn't won a Grand Slam match in uh, nine years and seven months. Uh, What do you make of uh, her return to tennis just to be able to come back after long layoffs and still play at a high level?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree. I was was surprised because, I mean, she obviously when she first came back a couple of years ago, she was building her ranking and things were going well. And then I, I believe she had, injuries i know she had family issues i think her father passed away right yeah um and so yeah the so the fact that she just came back and breezed through, through um uh was it in dubai the the qualifying and then yeah i think it's really impressive it goes to show that you know the quality is still there you know she's the, the you know the player she was when she broke into the top i think 40 i think is still there and and yeah, I, I was I was I was actually very curious about her. I, so I, I when when she qualified in Dubai, I spoke to her there just to kind of catch up, and it, it really impressed me that she, which I'm I'm sure you know that she went there alone and that she didn't have any kind of she didn't want I mean she didn't have any coach or anyone with her, and then she went uh, again to Melbourne like that. So I think yeah, I think it's a great start to the year for her and. The higher her ranking goes, the more tournaments she'll be able to play, and it seems that you know it's it's it, she is more than capable of turning to a, a top hundred level consistently. And yeah, and I guess I'd add also just that from from the storyline of, of just her talking about what she's been through in terms of depression, in terms of the burnout. I think that's also really important and essential, and it's great that she's kind of so open about it it's
2: a really inspiring story and it's uh, it's great to see people from other countries as well journalists from other countries like yourself who are you know taking notice and familiar with the story and i think it's a great one to share regardless of of where you're from um tamani thank you so much for joining ben and i on matchpoint canada today and we know what a busy grind a grand slam is not just for players but for journalists as well so thank you for taking the time and uh, we hope to have you back on again sometime this
1: year Sure. Uh, whenever you want, just stop. Just Thanks for having me.
0: There you have it, our conversation with Tumani Cariel, a journalist with The Guardian. And um, as you said, we've had some tremendous matches and just kind of reverting back to the initial point of Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic dealing with injuries like... Does it matter? I suppose is the question. These guys still like work their way into the quarterfinals, navigating these different issues and still feel like, well, to me, probably maybe Djokovic is still the guy to beat. It's so frustrating. And I don't mean for me,
2: like good for them, but it must be so frustrating for, for the other players. Like here comes Nadal limping into the Aussie open, (laughs) you know, really not giving the confident vibe that he's even physically going to be able to get through a match or two best of five. And then, You know, look what he's managed to do looks like he's just getting stronger as as he goes, and he seems very relaxed in his in his press. Um, That clip, if you haven't seen that clip, uh, you know, for those who are listening of of him sort of breaking the injury news of uh, Berrettini, it's absolutely hilarious when he realizes he's let the cat out of the bag. Um, I I really have enjoyed his sense of humor, I got to be honest, you know, outside of his matches just in press and, and how comfortable he seems. And then on the other side, Djokovic who develops the, you know, abdominal tear or strain or, or whatever you want to call it. And, uh, look, one thing, and and I think it's coming from sort of my hockey background is I totally get when players don't want to divulge, uh, you know, the entire severity of an injury, like especially within the tournament or the, the game that they're in. So, you know, that makes sense to me, but, uh, it is something to see him, you know, as he was struggling so much in that match against Fritz and then to be able to come back and take care of Milos pretty handily, given what he was, uh, you know, apparently suffering from. So I don't know what kind of pain medication or, or what he's doing, but or, or what we can expect from him next. But uh, yeah, these two, you just throw your hands up if you're a fellow competitor and say, what can you, what can you do, man?
0: Yeah, and for Milos Ranic, um, probably viewed as a big missed opportunity if you don't have a 100% healthy Novak Djokovic, and he falls to 0-12 in that head-to-head. And uh, Djokovic, just uh, for those keeping track, against Canadians in singles, it's just been complete dominance. I believe we're at maybe 27-0 and 0 right now. Keep in mind, I mean, you wouldn't really love a chances of a a Peter Polanski or a Philip Peliwo to, to beat a Novak Djokovic, but even against our our bigger guns like a Milos or Dennis, Milos in particular, you think with that serve and his weaponry to have 12 opportunities against the world number one, you think he would have snuck one win by him. And I think that's becoming a bit mentally waning. Uh, for example, just in this fourth round match they played, I, I felt Milos would have maybe had a bit of an upper hand going into their first set tie break. And he played a very kind of tight, nervous tie break. I think he was O of five on first serves. And you know, with the, the big three, you give them an inch, they take a mile. That's uh you just can't miss on these little, little chances. And uh, so it was, it was another opportunity fallen by the wayside for, for Milos, but uh, Novak to me, um, if you hadn't heard any dialogue about an injury going into that match, He did not look like an injured player on the court in terms of his his movement, mobility. He was chasing down everything and and hitting his spots. And uh, it was Milos actually who called a medical timeout and had the ankle wrapped. So I, I hope he's okay moving on for the season.
2: And and sometimes, you know, when you're playing someone who you know to be injured, not that not just that you suspect might be injured, but when you know because they've been so blatantly obvious and open about it, right? That definitely affects your mindset because you're thinking like, especially if you've been oh and eleven against a player before, like Here's my chance. Like, boy, if I can't do it now, when am I ever Mm going to be able to do it? And that's got to play in on your mind. And and the mental aspect, I mean, anyone who's ever picked up a racket and played, you know, it's as much mental as it is physical. Look at, you know, Felix Ogiali Yassim, for example. He's only 20 years old. He's made seven ATP finals, which is just incredible. But he's obviously got some sort of a mental block when he gets to that stage as well. So for Milos going up against Novak, when you know that this is your chance, that he's kind of limping in and you're expecting so much of yourself and you're putting added pressure on yourself, which, which clearly isn't going to help either. So I, I felt for me lotion and, and dropping O and 12 is definitely a, a tough one, but it reminds me of uh American tennis player, um, uh, Vitas Gerolitis, who once said, you know, nobody beats Vitas Garolitis. I think it was 17 times when he <laughs> finally got his first win against, um, Oh God, I'm drawing a blank right now. Um, I, I want to say, was it McEnroe or, uh, or Wendell? Borg maybe. Okay. Borg, maybe regardless. And, and so I think that's the attitude that Milos has to have is, Hey, one of these days I'm I'm going to get him. hopefully. Um, but this obviously wasn't it.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think Mofis right now is maybe and 17 against Novak Djokovic. And you look at their last encounter, they would have played at Doha the previous year. Mofis had four, closer than that, four match points, including a couple on his serve. And, uh, Who deals with match points facing match point down better than Novak Djokovic? It's a it's an unbelievable sight to see. Um, So, yeah, at least for me, these two players, Nadal included um, injuries be damned. uh, They are certainly still contenders. Um, Just getting back to the Canadians for a moment, uh, we should mention we still have Canadians in the field and doubles Gabby Dabrowski. Her and Bethany Maddox Sands did lose in the women's doubles, but her and Maddie Pavic um, now getting ready for the quarterfinals. And uh, we know that team is a threat. So uh, we can always just count on Gabby Dabrowski in some capacity reaching the second week of a grand slam. It's like a foregone conclusion.
2: Yeah, I was so surprised that it wasn't going to happen a deeper run in in women's doubles because I would have thought her and Bethany maddox Sands also a tremendous doubles, Mm -hmm. um, you know, tennis player. I would have thought that their match would have been, you know, a, a super fit, but I suppose on the one hand, not having so much uh, familiarity, perhaps playing together as a team um, as, as Gabby hasn't played, I don't believe with her really much before this, this year, that obviously played into it. And and they came up against a fantastic young team of Coco Goff and, and Katie McNally. And those two, uh, despite not having the experience of Maddox Sands and Dabrowski, obviously have the chemistry and, and the good friendship as well, which, which plays into their uh, success. But I was surprised by, just how routine that scoreline was. But as you mentioned, Gabby's still alive in mixed doubles and and her and Pavic have had success at the Australian open before. So uh, hoping her run continues this week. And another player who uh, has had uh, tremendous success in doubles is Sharon Fishman and Sharon's story is is pretty fantastic. And it seems there's so many comeback stories amongst the Canadian women, Bianca from injury, Rebecca Marino, also a long injury layoff. Sharon's comeback was a a while ago now, but she was off the tour between 2016 and 2018. And she started working on our side of things in broadcasting and decided she wanted to get back into it. And she's just made the quarterfinals of her first Grand Slam at the age of 30, which is remarkable. And it was also her first main draw win in a slam since 2014. So um, her and her partner, Juliana Olmos, are are really clicking together. And it's great to see another Canadian, maybe one we didn't expect having a, a good run here at the start of 2021.
0: Yeah, uh, terrific story, I think, for Sharon. I, I remember speaking with her a few years ago where she had just initially taking, taken a protected ranking into playing a, a doubles tournament and also playing some singles and kind of alluding to the thought of maybe is she making a comeback? Because, of course, we saw her face on, on the Sportsnet broadcast. Um, She was doing, I think, some coaching with high performance with Tennis Canada. And you thought maybe like, okay, she settled into a new portion of her career. But for her to just completely transition back into now a full time doubles career and to have this great success at the front end of the season uh, is just another awesome story to add to the many chapters for Canadian tennis. And uh, Mike, you had an opportunity to catch up with her in Melbourne at the tournament. Um, So we'll listen to that interview right now. Your uh, chat with Sharon Fitchman.
3: How are you?
2: I'm doing really good. Thanks. Congrats on the win.
3: Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks. Nice to have
2: you back on Match Point Canada and talk about such positive things.
3: Yeah. Thanks. Thank you.
2: And I know I always have to be on my A game when I'm talking to you because you've been on this side of things before too.
3: (laughs) I miss those side of things. How are those side of things? I feel like there's a lot to talk about.
2: They're working out pretty good for a Canadian tennis reporter these days and and you're a big part of that this week so uh, (laughs) let's get right to it Uh, why don't you tell me about the the match today and and how things went for you and Julianne
3: yeah uh, so Juju her nickname is Juju she introduces herself as Juju so um, Juju and I I thought we I thought we did a great job out there today Um, you know I'd never played Layla before so that was obviously like a new experience Um, Actually, my first tournament back, I guess, was with Layla. We got a wild card into Quebec City. So that was kind of the last time I was on the doubles court with Layla. Um, So it was kind of like a a (laughs) a flashback there from my my first match back. So um, that was really fun, really fun. I'm really happy that, you know, Canadians have been going um, deep in doubles lately too. That's been really, really nice. Obviously, on the single side... Uh, so much to talk about. Um, we had a great great time out there. I thought uh, Juju and I really, you know, we had a plan going into the match. Um, you know, obviously not super um, up to date, I guess, on our opponents. I know Layla doesn't play a ton of doubles, um, but obviously a very capable player. Uh, Heather is singles focused as well, but obviously, again, a really good doubles player. She's got um I think she has a mixed double slam under her belt to be honest so we knew that we had a dangerous team um, against us and uh, we really were just kind of ready for anything and, and hyper focused so um, yeah we we tried to make it fun and and play our game and and we did a good job
2: this event is shaping up to be pretty special for you it's your first main draw slam win i believe since 2014 and it's the first doubles quarterfinal at a slam of your career. So, what what's working for you so well here uh, so far this uh, this tournament?
3: Um, yeah, I guess so, right? It's been a little while since I since I got the Ws and some slams. Um, I mean, it's our first time uh, playing together, Juju and I, um, at a slam. So I think that you know our partnership's been off to a good start. We've had some really tough draws, I think, leading up to this. Um, to this event so you know that part has been um a bit challenging but at the same time it's really pushed us to up our level so I'm really grateful for the fact that we've had some some tough opponents leading up to this week we've also trained with a lot of really good doubles players so I think that that's really helped us um I think also our, we complement each other really well and um we're both super competitive but at the same time like to kind of uh, make sure that we've got some balance in our life. and I think that, that that really works well on and off the court. We're having a good we're having a good time. Um, and I think uh, you know' just just been a a collection of of you know good things and in, in preparation leading up to it. I know also it's been challenging for some players um, with having to quarantine and uh, and then compete, which is obviously a very unconventional thing on uh, on the tour but i think having those two weeks of preparation together and and practicing together has actually helped us and we were really happy to be able to to kind of have that prep together under our belt so um i think a lot of a lot of things are are attributing to to a good run so far
2: it's funny the last time i talked to you i think was closer to the start of this pandemic back in i want to say march of 2020 and you and and Dylan were uh, you know surviving together in your yeah. close quarters uh, back back at home <laughs> and, and becoming pretty creative. Um, obviously this has endured a lot longer than we probably thought back then. W- what's this most recent start to the year and, and how difficult was it for you and what level of quarantining did you have to go through when you arrived in, in Melbourne and just how have you found it the past few weeks?
3: Um. So are, are you asking kind of COVID like when before le- leaving to come to Australia, or are you talking like the the last few weeks COVID-wise? Which which one? Because yeah, since
2: since you've uh, <laughs> since you've arrived in in Melbourne.
3: Since I've arrived, um, yeah, it's been it's been interesting because um, you know we we understood that we had to stay in our room for for 19 hours a day, and we'd have our five hours of kind of a modified quarantine. Where we could um, train and use the gym, so that we were we were very grateful for. We knew that going into it, so there was no surprise there. Um, Obviously, you know, a lot of things became challenging for for players because there were flights that had to quarantine, and you know, I'm sure in some cases, in in some way, it was like worst possible case for for uh, for Craig to deal with. Um, all the the kind of drama that was happening Um, but we were very grateful to be in a situation that we were on a flight that was cleared Um, so we got to maximize kind of the quarantine that we had I'm very grateful that like my best friend um, is with me on tour here and she's also a coach so I'm really grateful to have her with me because she's kept it fun and kept it light uh, and also been able to help me on court. So um, it's been it's been challenging. It's been very unconventional. But I think um, I'm certainly very proud of how, you know, we've handled it as a team. And um, once we got out of it, once we finished our two weeks of, of modified quarantine, uh, it was, oh, I can't tell you how nice it is to be able to go around, go outside, you know, go to the beach, kind of like live a bit more... Um, normally, uh, obviously you still wear your masks, um, whenever you're in a situation where you can't socially distance and you're inside, uh, that's very important. And, and we've all, we've all adhered to that. So we've really enjoyed it. It's been wonderful. Um, you know, obviously there is a lockdown here in Melbourne, uh, for the next few days at least. So, um, it's changed we're kind of back to our bubble life but that that little taste of freedom mike i can't tell you how good it is
2: i hope you're not rubbing it in too much with dylan who's i think back home
3: yeah i i mean he's uh he's just you know he's a he's a very happy positive person in general so um you know he's happy for me i know deep down he's happy for me
2: absolutely um it seems like for Canadian tennis, especially on the women's side, there's been some great comeback stories lately. Bianca coming back after 15 months being injured, and Rebecca Marino, another comeback for her. Um, you know, yours has been a few years now already, but but still a great comeback story, and one that I would imagine took um, a leap of faith back in 2018 for you to return to the game having a result like this much must really make it um, seem worthwhile. I would imagine right now.
3: Absolutely. Um, it is, I'm sort of just really taking it moment by moment, if that makes sense. Um, I think that there's a lot of ups and downs that happen whenever you kind of take a leap of faith and you, and you aim for something that's very, very difficult and challenging. Um, but I'm really proud of the fact that I've been able to stick through those ups and downs. Um, it's certainly been worth it. It has definitely not been easy and I, I I did not do it alone. I know I'm on the court there with my doubles partner um, and it looks like that, but i I am so grateful for the close people in my life my coach Simon Bartram, my fiance Dylan, my agent, my you know my best friend Laura. Um, so many people, I, I, so many people I, I, I'm grateful for, but uh, it means a lot. And we're, you know, even though the result has kind of my name on it, I know that it belongs to a lot of people. So I'm just really grateful. I'm very proud. Um, and I'm just trying to just enjoy every single moment of this and just keep kind of keep rolling, keep trying to make it happen.
2: Uh, You've had some pretty special tennis moments in Australia, in Melbourne, of course, winning the Junior Slam there in 2006, if my stats are correct here. Um, Does that memory, the Junior um, win, seem like forever ago at this stage? And um, what are your memories of that moment now when you look back?
3: Uh, Yes and no. Um, Yes, it feels like forever ago, but at the same time, I feel like you know I can recall so many little things um, obviously the site was very different you know it's it's uh, it's changed a lot tennis Australia has done an incredible job with the facilities here it is so beautiful it's one of my favorite places to play um, you know it was this is a different time I, I remember when when I was was playing the semis and the finals uh, there was a lot of rain and uh, we had to actually play the semifinals indoors with no warm-up which was so strange. And back then they didn't have this incredible indoor facility that they do now. They had like two courts with a tent over it, um, with very little space between them. <laughs> so that was the semis. And at finals, I remember we got to play on Margaret Court Arena, which was super exciting, but the finals was at like 10 PM at night. So I think it was just like my coach and, my doubles partner's coach and I think our opponent's coach is there so it was not the same atmosphere that you know you would have hoped but uh, it was such a beautiful court and a great experience and opportunity and um, you know I, I got to play there I think I won it with Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova and she's a wonderful person so I just have a lot of fond memories of being here and at the same time though like I can't believe that you know was it 50, i guess it's 15 years around there has just flown by i'm like where did it go oh my gosh but um you know i'm i'm just grateful to be able to to be here and and again just loving the the melbourne environment and and experience
2: it's clearly working for you so uh, before i let you go just want to focus on the present here and and i guess the future as we're speaking now in terms of your next match which is against sinikova and krajicova and well, if you beat another Czech duo, the Czech Republic's going to have it out for you, I think. But what's going to be the key uh, for you guys to continue s- your success in that next match against the third seats?
3: Well, I think to continue to play on our own terms. I think we've done a really good job of of just sticking to our own jobs and um, being like, hyper-focused on what we're trying to do on the court. Obviously, um, those, those girls have, have done a great job in their careers. Um, we had a really close match with Chikova uh, in Abu Dhabi. We had a match point there, um, so you know we know that like they're tough no matter what situation um, they're in, they're gonna go for it. So we're gonna have to really bring our bring our best game and go out there play to win, make things happen, um, and we're just gonna we're just gonna fight like hell like we always do.
2: Well, we're looking forward to uh, to watching that happen. Canadian tennis fans are looking forward to it rooting for you back here. A lot of love on on Twitter and social media. So hope you're feeling that all the way down under and uh, best of luck as you, you carry on here.
3: Thanks so much, Mike. Take care. All the best.
0: There you have it. Mike's conversation uh, with Canadian tennis player Sharon Fishman, who is uh, now into her first ever major uh, quarterfinal in doubles. Uh, such a terrific run. Um, I, yeah, I'm honestly thrilled for her that she's having uh, this, this type of success and uh, becoming just like a confident mainstay on the doubles tour. She knows that's kind of the approach for her and, and inside the top 50. And I, I think she's just going to grow from there. And she's such a positive person and
2: a friendly person to talk to. Like I genuinely, you know, really look forward to just chatting with her and catching up regardless of for the podcast or, or any of that stuff. She's just always smiling and full of positivity. And I think that really came through in our, in our chat together. And um, and yeah, she was such a talented junior. Uh, And I kind of forget that because it is going back a few years, but I mean, she won, as she mentioned, and as we chatted about, she won the Aussie open junior slam in doubles um, with Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova back in 2006 and and Sharon was just such a highly touted junior and, and, and had so much uh, promise from such a young age. I mean 13 years old winning under 18s in Canada and things like that which are just mind-boggling um, and so to see her having this success now at this stage of her career after her decision to, to come back and return to the professional circuit um, it's just it's a great story and a, and a great lesson for anyone out there who may you know, become disillusioned with the sport or feel that they need a break. It doesn't mean that your relationship with tennis is over and that you can't get back to playing at a really high level.
0: Yeah, and I I find her and uh, her partner, Dylan Moscovich, former uh, retired figure skater, just just the two of them very inspiring. If you ever get a chance to kind of follow them on Instagram, if you want to feel inspired, kind of fitness, health wise, they're always sharing these like great tips and videos. They were awesome actually during quarantine uh, and just over lockdown during COVID uh, with their cool fitness videos together. uh, Very inspiring pair. I had uh, the fortune of meeting them uh, at Rogers Cup at an event party a few years ago, and uh, they were just both friends and great um so very happy for her and she'll get now a quarterfinal opportunity um at the australian open in melbourne as uh, the success just continues to build uh for her career um second week final week beginning we're getting into the quarterfinal stage uh, of this event i guess what are you going to be watching for uh men's and women's side both i, I just want some big time
2: matches i want to see some great matches i want to see more like Muguruza, uh osaka matches or or Serena Sabalenka and you know when I look at the women's draw right now you've got the the one half which is like you've got three of the four anyways in Osaka Serena and Halep I mean those are three of the biggest women's players uh you know around the last 10 years or for Serena obviously longer and so we're going to get some some fireworks there for sure and then you've got Ash Barty you know the local hope which is uh and world number one I should say not just local hope but world number one who missed most of last year. So great to see her in the final eight, along with some players like uh, Mukova and then the two Americans, Brady and Pagula, um, you know, who are in there as well. Brady who had such success at the U S open as well. So clearly continuing that. Um, So yeah, just looking forward to some great matchups. And on the men's side, I mean, the four that I thought in the bottom half, the two Russians along with Sisi Pass and Nadal are there and, and how is Djokovic going to continue to progress and is he going to get his ninth title down under and, and Grand Slam number eighteen, uh, just some fantastic storylines. So, second week of a major is always a, a special time, and even without Canadians, I think it's going to be a heck of a, a fun time to watch.
0: Yeah, should be should be very thrilling on on both sides. I'm glad you you brought up Ash Barty because I feel like she's the name maybe people are sleeping on, and she's the world number one and has been playing. Uh, awesome tennis and kind of that australian hopeful that uh, maybe she can do this thing um she has uh, i think a quite a nice draw going forward on the top half to potentially make this final uh should mention um you know bianca andrescu of course lost to shesu way in the second round here but uh, she is into the round of 16 at the Phillip island trophy so still playing getting right back at it she beat madison Brangle in three sets and she will take on zarina diaz next Rebecca Marino, um, unbelievable, not only just qualifying and winning a match at the Australian Open, she quickly turned around and won uh, a qualifying match, then beat Mona Barthel uh, before losing to Petra Martic in a very close match: six two five seven six four. And I just wanted to mention in the live rankings now, uh, Rebecca Marino has jumped 126 spots to world number 191. So already uh, projected to get back inside the 200, just an unbelievable leap for her. And I think she's just going to ascend from here.
2: Yeah, we spoke with her recently. So if you want to check back through some of our recent podcasts uh, during the first week of the Aussie Open, she talked about, uh, you know, how encouraging and 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 how much she's enjoying tennis right now. So definitely recommend you check that one out. Uh, Leila Annie Fernandez also spoke to recently and she made it to the final 16 in doubles uh, at a Grand Slam for the first time as well. So another positive result. And as we end off, I, I just want to say maybe some of you noticed Leila Annie and uh, Bianca as well had that Canadian dampening uh, vibration uh, uh, dampener on their tennis rackets. And uh, so great to see the, the red and white and the Maple Leaf represented there. We've got one of those to, uh, to give away this week on Matchpoint Canada. So if you want to include yourself in the draw, why don't you just engage with us on Twitter and let us know which match uh, amongst the Canadian crew did you enjoy the most at the Aussie Open this year? And we'll uh, put your name in there for the, uh, the dampener uh, giveaway
0: yeah absolutely we will uh tweet that out so you can get into our little weekly contest see if you can win yourself a, a canadian dampener uh for the upcoming tennis season i know we'll get back on the court soon uh you've been listening to match point canada the official podcast of tennis hey! canada we will talk to you next time i've been trying to do it right i've
1: been